as someone who's not yet famous and often performing with people that are famous, yeah, I can do that with them. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like, like I would do a showcase show with a bunch of like more famous people. And like I could feel the room feeling like, what? Who the fuck is this guy? And like, why does he think he can do this? Like, and that's great. Comedy, 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 Perfect. Ciao, guys. I am Beatrice Fresano. <laughs> oh, Beatrice, uh, you Beatrice look so nice. Beatrice Fresano on the Instagram. Welcome to the Comedy Hall. Uh, I am. <laughs> You're so German. Beatrice. I am accompanied by my co-host Ariel Bielski. Ciao, Beatrice. And also, oh, we have Jordan Thomas Gray. Oh yeah, hey, I'm here too. Uh, <laughs> Shut up, Jordan. Pizza pasta. Our guest today. No, but is... no, listen. Listen. <laughs> Jordan, that's enough. <laughs> All right, hey guys, Beatrice is not here. She's in Italy making a lasagna or something. Yeah, what most is she likely. doing? Yeah, making lasagna. Yeah. Anyway, it'd be actually Beatrice. funny if she was never a part of this podcast. She was like on the poster, and you guys always did that. A, a good podcast name would be "I'm doing a bit." Maybe we should rename this podcast "I'm doing a bit." Anyway, anyway, so uh, today, today we have a, a very special guest. Uh, just really, just anytime he he performs, uh, listen. <laughs> we have Philip Bramora here today with us, uh, comedian, uh, rising star. We might say in the, the Polish comedy uh, scene. You also you perform at open mics uh, in English sometimes. Whenever yeah. you do it, I love it. I'm very sad you don't do it more often. I plan I like to, to do it more you. often. You guys are very kind. You always introduce me these these ways. Uh, it makes me feel self-conscious when I go on stage, which is great as a performer. <laughs> <laughs> the ladies and gentlemen, here comes, here comes the the one of the yeah, stars just, in Polish yeah, yeah. comedy. Yeah. You, you do clearly separate me from the from the rest of the performance, which on the on a certain egotistical level, I appreciate, of course. <laughs> I mean, to be, I'm just like to be fair. We should like uh, in the sense that you are Philip. Philip, to our listeners, is a Polish stand-up comedian. Probably first and foremost in the sense that you are a professional stand-up comedian in Polish. Yeah. However, with that said, you absolutely do it in English, and when you do it in English, it's funny as fuck. And so, if you ever write me for a Tuesday night show, hey, do you have an extra spot? I'll never say no. Which so, I appreciate. I I also think like. You met me on a really good night for me, because <laughs> uh, I remember that. Like I you were the person <laughs> I talked to from the stage when we did the level twenty-seven show. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm pretty really? sure that was you. Like, because yeah, you're you're Canadian musician DJ guy. Yeah, yeah. And this is Ariel Bielski, by the way. Yeah, I know, but like we met like we met at this event. And I remember like saying hi to you and then going on stage, I was performing like th- third maybe. Mm-hmm. And I did like the first 10 minutes of crowd work, um, which included talking to you and like delivering a really funny moment that like 
I asked you about where you're from, and like you said, you're a Canadian, but then I asked you if you speak Polish, which is just a real weird question to ask a Canadian. And sure. you were like, yes. You were like, you said something like, uh, for sure. Yeah, this for is sure. Like, for, said, sure for sure, for <laughs> sure. And I'm like, that's not a for sure type of a question. <laughs> like, you're Canadian, bro. Like, it doesn't usually come easily to Canadians. And we started talking. And then I was like, so do you consider yourself an expat here? And you're like, uh, immigrant? What's the difference? And I just right. said skin color mostly. <laughs> and the room like exploded, you know? The room exploded. And there were a lot of like people of color there. And like they they felt this thing of like, oh, this guy gets it. You right. know? Like okay. it was clearly like a spur of the moment type thing. And that was one of the first times that I performed in like flow state, you know, oh, yeah, like yeah. complete flow state. Mm -hmm. Everything I said was hitting, you know, like, and I and I thought about that day, <clears throat> at that time, a lot, you know, because I felt like it took me to a new, new level, you know. And that's so interesting. You're talking yeah. about that because I remember that night. I don't. I don't remember that it was you on stage, but of course it was because I remember that moment of like talking to the comedian. Was this 2020? <clears throat> I don't. I feel like it, it has to be been. earlier because it was, I don't think there was any pandemic talk. Yeah, okay, there was so, no yeah. pandemic talk. Yeah, no pandemic talk. And also I wasn't doing comedy. And I remember like this, uh, there's a couple This was Dave Rogelski's first show at Level yeah. 27. Okay, and I, I went to a, a show, later maybe. Level 27 yeah. show. Yeah. 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 yeah, or no, maybe there were a couple. But like, I remember because... Also, whenever a comedian talks to me on stage, like I like to be funny and goof around, but I need to give them the spotlight. I don't, right. I'm not like the, I'm not a heckler, and I'm not a type of person to be like, "Look at me, I'm not on stage, and I'm going to." Where you're trying to outsmart? There are out member audiences that try to like outsmart the comedian. right, and, and so so I was just basically like it's usually I've had comedians talk to me when I'm in the crowd and just being like, "Yes, sir, no, sir," that yeah, kind of yeah, shit, yeah, yeah. and so so like. For sure, it's just a Canadian response and you taking it and going places. And yeah. also, someone told me, because I do a, a DJ bit where I'm moving around and doing fucking DJing this thing. Someone told me that you did that on stage because I mentioned that I'm a DJ. That night. And you did yeah. some pretty much a similar yeah. bit. And yeah, then because then we continued talking, and I was like, yeah. "Okay, an immigrant." And then I said, "So, what job are you stealing?" <laughs> and, and you said, "I'm a musician, a DJ." And I was like, "Okay," because we definitely did needed more of those. Yeah, right. And I was like, "They need this in Poland," and I started doing the the DJ movements. Um, but by then, you know, like by then they were like, I could have said whatever the fuck I wanted. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And the thing is. I had a decision to make when I first walked on stage. And this is like, this is the thing that is important for me like all the time still. And if people are listening to this, this is like the thing that will be important to them. Right. Do the braver thing, right? Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of that night, Dave had a joke when they were hosting, there were two hosts, Dave and Badr, yeah? Yeah. And they had a joke about how terrible Dave's vision is. He has these thick glasses, and he he. The joke was that when he's eating pussy, he doesn't know whose pussy he's eating, and he's like, "It could be your pussy. It could be your pussy. It could be your pussy." And he's showing like he's kind of gesturing toward women in the front row, and I was standing in the back, 
which is another good thing. Like if you're prepared well enough for your own shit that you don't have to be reviewing your notes all the time. Right. It's good to like take in the energy of the room before you perform. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like meditative in the way that you got to feel out what are we dealing with here. Yeah. And right in the front row was this like sharply dressed Italian guy with two equally sharply dressed ladies by his side. Yeah. So I was like, I got to say something about that. Like he he can't just be like pimping hoes in the middle of like the show and no (laughs) one's going to say anything. Yeah. So I thought that I would say that like I would allude back to that joke and I'd be like, you can't afford this pussy. Yeah. And then like I hesitated. Yeah. Cause I was like, ah, like, can I say that? Like, I would essentially what I'm doing is I'm comparing them to whores. Wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's essentially what's going to happen. And we're going to be sitting like two meters away from each other right. for the next 30 minutes after I say that. Yeah. Right. Right. So you're, you get attacked with fear and then you got to do it. You just got to like, and then you can't like stumble through it scared. You got to do it like it ain't, it's not even going to be an issue. Like I own this shit. And like, if you got a problem, you can take your shit somewhere else. Yeah. Because here we're going to make these jokes. Yeah. So I went up there. I did the joke. Landed great. Was it, wait, wait, was it the first joke you did? First thing I did okay, was right. I, I, t- I asked him his name. His name was like Italian sounding. So it's like Jimmy Pepperoni or something. Mm, it, it, was, uh, it was Fabio. Yeah. His name was Fabio. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then it just all started flowing. And then it sucks going back to your material after that. Right. Bit, yeah. Because it just becomes like we switched to the rehearsed thing. Yeah. And that was your first like flow state while you're performing in Polish or in English? That was the first like, I, I'm sure I've had levels of, of flow state before. I mean, like, I, I, I might even say like most times I perform, I reach a certain level of flow state where. I have no idea how much time has disappeared. Like, and I recorded my first 30 minutes, like toward the end, I had this like panic moment in my head because I knew I was wrapping up, but I thought I was on stage for like 12. Mm. And I looked at the clock or the, the stopwatch I had on my phone and it was like close to 30. And I knew that there was something like metaphysical about whatever is happening here. Right. And then like you're so in the moment that time ceases to exist. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. We could, we can actually, we should probably also back up a little bit just to like talk about when you started. Cause even that show, if we're saying it's 2019, how long before that did you start doing comedy? Also, was it in Polish you started? Was it in English? And what's the percentage of Polish and English do you do? Yeah. Where were I'm, you born? I was born in Poland. I, I spent the first 12 years of my life in Poland. I moved to the States and I spent the next nine out of 11 years in the States. Then I came back to Poland for a little bit again. Then I got my master's in the Netherlands uh, around the time I was 24, 25. Master's in? <laughs> European law. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, okay. But that time was significant. Like, um, How old were you in the Netherlands? T- 24, between like 24 and 26 or something like that. 20, yeah. Um, Just getting a master's in EU law, thinking one day 
iPhones will have USB-C. <laughs> and that'll be my project. Yeah, so like the whole thing was like the the thing that I wanted to do as a child is I wanted to be a basketball player. And oh man, that's yeah. tragic. That's a tragic story. <laughs> yeah. When that like Philip was, is 4 foot 3 <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> when it was and the thing is ah, like this all like started kind of like a spiritual journey in a way because I pushed myself so hard trying to accomplish that goal with the role models that are psychopathic like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and and hard work pays off and all that bullshit. Um, while also not approaching the thing holistically enough to like, if I could like redo life, I know how to make an NBA player out of anybody now, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> having, right. having worked through, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so if my son wants to be an NBA player, I feel like it'll be not really an issue. Yeah? <laughs> like, um, I'll just kill him. <laughs> but for me, like when I, when it was becoming obvious that that wasn't going to work out, like I just thought of like this random fucking plan B of being a lawyer, which allows you to have like a certain level of competition but it becomes like mental, cognitive, rational, logical, yeah, things like that. Was there a trial law lawyer part of it? Because a lot of law in the U.S. is performance. Exactly. Right? Trial, yeah, is that, was that part of it? Exactly. That was absolutely a part of it. Yeah. Then, like, it was the American way of doing law that was so attractive to me. And yeah? which was, which, by the way, like, if you're just, people should have an understanding of, like what's an adversarial system with as opposed to a judicial system where like in Europe you convince the judge that you're right, right. who knows the okay. law as well as you and has 30 years experience more than you do. In America, you convince 12 random ass strangers. You do a little dance. I'm just a, a country lawyer. Exactly. I'm just a chicken. A completely I'm different a, ball game. I'm yeah? just a caveman. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so there is this performance aspect to it. There's this charisma aspect to it. There's this... Um, and there's this sort of like... Um, uh, mentalism aspect to it in a way. Yeah? Like you're guiding the mind into certain corners, yeah? which is something that you're doing with stand-up as well. Like you're guiding the mind into a certain corner just to like hit him from another side that like I was only doing that so so I can surprise you with that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, what was the qu the, the question was when I started? Yeah, so I started. Um, I believe I started late 2017. I believe I started late 2017. Oh, I started, any any stand up? Yeah, oh, I started wow, okay. in English. Um, not not long after that, I did an open mic in Polish. But um, but you started in English. There yeah, was an open mic. Sure. Which open mic did you do here? Was it with there was um, there was an English stand-up Poland open mic hosted by Pete Shumovsky. Oh, okay, Pete, yeah, yeah, um, Pete Shums. So yeah, he brought me on. How, how old were you when you started? Thirty. Okay, I was thirty-one when I started. Yeah, yeah, which has its advantages and disadvantages. Like in 
yeah, disadvantages like, closer to death. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, you, you, you don't have the same energy as the, the people in the. But you're 20s. so much smarter. With yeah. all due respect to these uh, young people, like you're so much smarter, and you bring um, the confidence automatically. And yeah. and you have like you have things to say that like you're more convinced of by now. You know, like I've I realized that adulthood in a way um, is the 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 stopping of the process of learning shit all the time and just using what you got to like build this life yeah and and in a way that's also like an explanation for why like parents seem stuck in a certain time because they they had to make a decision to just stop mm-hmm. with like you you know 30 years is enough to like build this base to like build this life upon and i try to be conscious of what the world is becoming, you know, not that's also like a connection with your kids type of thing. Like you don't want to lose touch of like what the world is so that you have an understanding with him closer. But yeah, like you just got to go with it from a certain point. Yeah. It's weird. I had a thought that was like childhood. Uh, it, it's kind of the opposite thought. It was like childhood is like uh, full of, oh, everyone's stupid. Like, oh, you like the Backstreet Boys? You're stupid. But like adulthood is realizing I'm stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh man, this this guy's cool. Fuck, I'm an idiot. Of course he's cool. Like just not yeah. realizing. It's not like you're you're stupid, but you're just accepting your own version of yourself. And and this is like yeah. this is the journey, whatever the journey is. Like that you're already okay. And you don't need to fucking pretend to be anybody else and even try to figure out who you're supposed to be. You just got to like remove the bullshit from you that the world gives you all the time to like be able to just be yourself. And as fucking cliche as that sounds, every all the greatest gifts that like you have and especially for people that like have already concluded that they want to do stand up or they want to try stand up or they want to do anything artistic mm. they say like everything's been done except your life so all you got to do is just just look at what's interesting there yeah. talk about it yeah cuz um, we have comedians in the scene that are in their early 20s and if they bomb it's like devastating to them yeah. But if if I bomb, I'm like, eh, not a good night. It's also <laughs> yeah. like bombing's kind of hilarious. It's <laughs> yeah, amazing. I, it's amazing. I, I, in the <laughs> universe of things, like uh-huh. doing that <laughs> is just hilarious. Like, yeah. And if like if you're enough in the moment to find the hilarious in it when it's happening, then you're not even bombing anymore. You know, like because yeah. they can't like. They can't hurt you. you know? Did you did you like Norm Macdonald? I liked Ever? Norm Norm Macdonald, of course. I liked him a little bit less than I think people would expect from me because he's clearly like my type of comedian. And I think like the that there's there are pieces of that he has done that are absolute masterpieces. You know, like his last late night about like 
how Germany went on a war against Just the war, the world. <laughs> like that is yeah, as yeah. good as stand up gets, you know. But I also think sometimes he was just he was boring. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm only bringing him up because nine eleven airlines. That, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's because, terrible. Name. It reminds me of that tragedy, <laughs> horrible tragedy. <laughs> but I'm all, I'm only bringing him up because uh, he has. There was like Vancouver put up a, a billboard of one of his quotes. Uh, that was basically about bombing where he's like, comedy is about surprise. So if a comedian goes on stage to make you laugh and no one laughs, that's surprising. That's pretty funny. You know, that's <laughs> brilliant. And like, I, I had, I had a moment of crisis at a certain point. Yeah. Then, cause as you're, as you're performing and as you're like, advancing in this shit so you're not doing just open mics for like a random collection of 30 people or like, 10 or, or 10. 7 <laughs> yeah so the audience becomes a player in your life the audience becomes an agent in your life yeah like mm. it becomes this this separate thing yeah that is made up of human beings but really your interaction with them is it's just this thing called the audience yeah right if you want to jump in with something, just I, I've been having nightmares that I'll be doing a show. It's never about the audience. It's about the mic doesn't work, mm. or like there's a lineup and no one will tell me where I, where I am in it. It's about not having control over the theater uh, of the production. Never is the audience uh, the problem. I, I think I even had one nightmare where the audience rebelled, but I was like, yeah, that's on me. So in a way, like I think you're you're a little bit better off. Yeah, like there are things to analyze there. Like, I have a, a theory that most of the most of the dreams that I remember are a reflection of my own fears somehow. Yeah, so like, if you have these fears of like not knowing when you are in the lineup, if you really like break that down, like it completely doesn't matter. Yeah, because when you go up there, you're supposed to be this thing that you always are. Yeah, you're supposed to be this thing that you always have access to. So, and you're even using the word control, and it's that's a dangerous word, man. Yeah, yeah? like in stand up, especially. Yeah. So, in a way, like you should probably like throw yourself into something that will make you realize that some of these things will happen, and you'll still be okay. And if you're not okay, it'll still be okay because of all the things we're talking about. Yeah, yeah there's no sure. such thing as as bombing, really. But this comes back to we're, we're all over thirty. We've all lived a hundred years ago. We'd be dead, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, I don't think that's true, but yeah, I get what you mean. Five hundred years ago, we'd be dead. <laughs> a thousand thousand years ago, we'd you, be dead. you'd definitely be dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be still dead. Yeah. Uh, before glasses, for sure, I'd be dead. But anyway, uh, <laughs> point being that I was thinking today about this idea of radical acceptance mm -hmm. of that if you can be in a place where you can just accept anything that happens to you, like that's peace. And I was telling mm -hmm. Ariel recently, that I got laser eye surgery and I was very afraid of it. So I just was like, I catastrophized. I was like, this might make me go blind. But I just accepted that, okay, I will do the surgery. I will go blind and then I will be blind, and that's fine. Mm. And I went into the surgery with that mindset and was perfectly at peace, and then I wasn't blind at the end. I was very pleased sure. and quite happy. Right. Sure, sure, yeah. So but, this is this is also 
like a Buddhist idea in there. Yeah, that yeah, one of the 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 most important thing in Buddhism is detachment. Yeah, that so you are detached from the result because you accepted your decision that your decision and whatever happens is going to be the right decision, right? So this is actually connected to how like what chakras you're operating with and like your chakra. We all have the same chakras. It's just oh, a matter of how like active. I love chakra. I'm a cancer. Uh, I think so a Capricorn. Your intuition is in your sixth chakra, and your intuition helps you make decisions that don't necessarily, they aren't necessarily logic based and trapped in the mind. They are sort of these heart decisions that feel right. And then like if you're renting an apartment and like you walk into a place that's smaller and seems cramped and and you're worried about, you know, your commute to work, but you walk in this motherfucker and it feels like home, then that's an intuition decision. You should probably listen to that as opposed to like rationalizing living somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> and that is also everybody's journey. Yeah, that like detach yourself from the result. So no matter what happens, nothing changes. Yeah? Like if if the audience loves you or hates you, nothing changes. You're doing the thing that you believe is right for you to do. And people that tend to become stand-ups have this thing of like wanting to shine. Yeah, like for whatever reason, either their daddies didn't tell them they loved them enough, or Check. or Mom whatever. Didn't listen to their stories, Check. or they, you know, we all have these things almost generationally, and I think stand-ups are lucky enough to be able to identify some of these things and and go into this thing that I think is beautiful. Yeah, like I think stand-up is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but this shining. Even if it works, you need the light to be shown upon you. So at that point, even if you're shining, you need the audience, you need the critics, you need your friends, you need whatever to tell you that you're fucking awesome. Yeah, But you're supposed to be sort of shining internally, even if that doesn't exist. Yeah, So if... So we're back to like the the relationship with the audience and yeah? this thing that it becomes. And I was opening for a guy in Poland and he was kind of like strange in a way because most of the people that I open for are either like famous to the point that like they seclude themselves or awkward enough to the point that they just like take a couple pictures after the show and they go like this guy interacted with members of the audience like and this was small town Poland so he would like be at a dinner after the show and like drunk people from the show would like want to sit at our table and he'd be like yeah come on it yeah so then you'd actually have a resemblance of a conversation with people who paid for these tickets to see you and then the next day like we went on like we went to play pool with three more members of the audience and this left me like borderline depressed for the next two weeks because I felt like in time if I keep doing my own thing like I build I'll build an uh, an audience of my own right but 
with this guy, I was kind of like doing the circuit, you know, like doing certain towns and certain clubs. And and some of these people that we were in, interacting with, they're regulars. So no matter who comes to do stand-up, they'll be there, you know? And I listened to the way like they talk to each other and the conversations they're having. And I was like, man, I was worried about like insulting people or whatever. But like the level of like insulting they do to each other is like on another level completely. And it made me feel like I have nothing to do with these people, you know? Like, so how much do I give them of what they want and how much do I do of what I want? Yeah? And this is a line I'm still like figuring out and I try to do mixes of I'll do my way of thinking to like latch people onto something unique, but also will give them like the shit that makes audiences lose their shit funny yeah so to give you an example like i have material now about my approach to healthcare which i think is like twisted and unique and interesting and hilarious to me and i mixed that with a joke about the word video colonoscopy when i heard and it made made it sound to me like it's a remote procedure so i do the whole bit about a remote colonoscopy and they fucking love it so much every time it's it's a it bats a thousand yeah like because i'm sticking imaginary things up my ass yeah <laughs> and it's a it always works so i gotta give them a little bit to like show them that i can do the game i can play the game that others play and that you want played or you think you want played but i'll also like twist this shit up a little bit, you know, to like fuck with you. And Here's a question. Do, do you find that the stuff that kills hardest for you is not the stuff that makes you chuckle when you're writing it? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that too, that it's like, all right, I was like, this will probably work. And then it, it kills yeah. and it's surprising. And then the stuff that makes me yeah. like giggle, people are like, oh yeah. This, this, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is like, I heard the theory, I don't remember if this is Seinfeld or somebody, like they, they said that you need to really like pull 8% of the audience. So like 8% of every show that you, you do must become your fans, right? So you're really like, while the, the, the people that we're mostly describing is this sort of most average of audience members, yeah, like if we're looking at them as a mass of people, you know, it's sort of the Justin Bieber effect, yeah, that like better music will never be more popular than popular music, yeah, like it, Justin Bieber's of the world will always like jingle their way to billions of dollars while Rage Against the Machine will be just, just hundreds of millions of dollars. Just, yeah, whatever, that's, that's a, you know, like, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, but better yeah, 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 yeah. machine was yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Bob Dylan was my other example. Yeah, this is also huge. huge. But this is also the point that, like, you can be, you can be popular yeah, and be like, an incredible exactly, artist. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. John Mulaney. 
Yeah, John Mulaney's brilliant. Yeah. Like, he has jokes, and I'm I've jealous. I've been working on my John Mulaney impression. <laughs> it's yeah. still not very good. <laughs> but uh, the the thing that actually even uh, Jordan brought it up was, and I forgot about it, but it was a joke exactly what you're talking about. And that Jordan brought up is a joke that you thought, ah, whatever, it's a throwaway. But it was a super funny what you did on stage. And we can edit this out if you don't want it burned, but like your gay mosquito joke. Mosqui- yeah. Mosquitoes or, think we're gay because we're always like, it's a very visual joke. Yeah, it is. Like, very, like, uh, the way you swat uh, them away. Go away. It's yeah. very, very funny. And I was I like, oh man, it. that's such a funny fucking joke. And you're like, what? That I think one? about yeah. that joke. Whenever there's a mosquito. <laughs> so it's, That's yeah. great. That's yeah. great. And that is also, I'm also very, very respectful of what is referred to as observational humor. Yeah. So I love the, the, the Seinfeld, the aspect of you can't experience something without thinking of a particular joke. Yeah. yeah. And it's just an everyday life thing. Like, you know, his, body odor on taxi drivers in New York, you know? Like, if you if you want, like, for me, if I get into an Uber and the driver smells, like, I think of Seinfeld's joke from, like, 30 years ago, right, you know? Right. And, and it's done so perfectly that, that it's just finished, you know? Like, it's just finished. And I, that's why it's always, like, good to pick up on these, like, words of encouragement, whether it's, because I do remember like fearing that that joke might not work, and every time, every time you mention a group of people, there's always like a heightened risk of you know groupthink and identity politics and all that shit. And, like, oh, he's talking about gay people and it's not funny and go fuck yourself. And like, and you guys is like all the comics is comics reaction to that joke. Like everybody walked up to me and told me that that was like their favorite thing, and and that's very encouraging. And I had. Th- a similar thing, like in my, I first published on on YouTube like a seven minute set, which was basically just like to have something going around, basically that we can send to other comedians that so they can see me um, to give me a shot at opening for them. Which is which is by the way something that like as far as like career um, moves, that's something I recommend. Like at a certain point when you have like. 20 minutes that you can deal with to record seven of them not to like have a bunch of views because that's probably not going to happen but to be able to send to comedians and you'll be like you know you'll be present in that group of people and then somebody might give you a shot at at being their opening act and in that in that seven minutes I had a bit about how in Poland, when you like pay with a credit card at certain like terminals or whatever those machines are called, yeah. it says not like transaction approved, but it says permission and it says zgoda. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And and people told me that, and I got messages on on Facebook from strangers that like whenever they would see the word 
Zgoda. Zgoda. It's impossible not to think of that joke because right. we have the mind that says, wait a minute. Like, right. why are they giving me permission to spend my hard-earned money? You know, like, and then you exaggerize that to like, you know, you, you introduce an image of a fat, disgusting banker, you know, allowing you to get a hot dog at a yeah, shop. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that happens also with many arts because I have that also with music. Someone says one phrase and it reminds me of this song and it repeats mm. in my head. It's usually Tupac. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, that absolutely, that's like... I was listening to a, a Tupac song yesterday. The guy was very petty. His diss tracks... Fuck Biggie, fuck Bob Deep. Y'all should die, die slow. Yeah, find happiness yeah. from within. Yeah, yeah, man, but he was young, man. He died at 25. So. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes also, sense. Also, a very, like, you see a lot of dualism in the art of Tupac. You know, they, sure. he, he almost seems to be two separate people, um, which was his life. Yeah, like, um, yeah, and, and yeah, sure. I think we, I, I think analyzing these dualities of yourself, like where are you a contradiction? That's, that's, that's the process of finding your voice. Yeah? And, and like law, he was in an adversarial system. It was East Coast versus West Coast. That was what he was operating in. He's not going to be the Gandhi of that. And in yeah. fact, he profits. But from it was also like completely fear-based, and he 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 created some of that. Like, I uh, actually he created most of it. It was it became like paranoia, fear-based thinking, um, and he really perpetuated a lot of that himself. You know. Yeah, but if you, I mean, he also, I mean, he got attacked and got shot, and he thought it was totally from fear, but t- thought it was the East Coast hating him because he's on the east coast and so like yeah but think about that yeah like you're <clears throat> like that's an amazing thing that happens because i've experienced things like that like comedians have shot at you that if things are not going right you would analyze the possibility of someone working against you yeah which is a ludicrous idea yeah, no, probably, it's, yeah, yeah because totally. because like Everybody's just like focused on their own shit and battling their own demons, yeah. And no one really has time to fuck with you. But for example, in the and what maybe implanted that idea into my mind is like I in Polish hip hop, there are games being played that are absolutely, um, you know, taking out your competition type of stuff, like. Like, you know, hacking your website on the date of your pre-orders release or stuff like that. And when I heard that, I was like, God damn, like that is fucking, that's straight like mob type shit, you know? And 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 when I generally entered the, the scene for a while, it was a bit depressing to me to, to realize that the amount of toxicity that was... Um, present in in this world and I thought I would just be like surrounded by a bunch of happy funny guys and then I was hit with realities that you know there's a lot of dislike and distrust and and I have to say a lot of that has gotten better over the years I think this was just kind of the moment in in the history of Polish stand-up where I came in that like you know, things were blowing up and people were making more money than they ever imagined. And, and they realized that if you like steal a joke, then that translates to money. And, um, oh, in Polish stand that happened, like that, yeah, you steal a joke, fuck it, it's good. 
No, it's no. It's, it, it, they're it's realizing it's, a, it's it's a possibility that you can do, but you can and make money because yeah. people are good like, by. Incentives. I remember like a guy feeling that someone else had stolen his joke, and I remember him like being really worked up about it and talking to other comedians and him using the phrase like he's stealing my money. Oh, yeah. in that sense, that like <laughs> that that relates directly to money exactly. being stolen from him. Exactly. Not yeah. that you steal a joke and then you make money off it. I, I miss it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. And, and then when when you're the new guy coming in um like I, I I felt like you know people weren't like willing to help as much as I thought they would be willing to help and um and it was all kind of like a weird eye-opening experience and it really took years to kind of like feel accepted in that world you I, know I think that that's a huge that's a huge thing that we have here in the English comedy scene. And it started with like, uh, more so with Bea and Jordan where, um, you know, I started that Tuesday night show and then they started one on Wednesday, but like the amount of communication between us and then working together and then starting another show on Sunday is like, it wasn't like, Oh, you have a show. Let's fight. It's more like we're we, working together. We encountered that of like, you want a show in my venue on the same week? Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. And we didn't so weird. want yeah. that. Very bizarre. More, more yeah. comedy equals better. If you're threatened by a show in your venue in the same week, your show's not good enough. Yeah. And you're also, if you're threatened by like a bunch of new guys, <laughs> yeah. like how, how, how much confidence do you have in yourself to like have these, these random new guys like feel like they're going to come eat your shit? Yeah. Right. You know? And actually, to be, to be honest, like, so in Toronto, like uh, produce uh, hip hop for artists and as a producer it's much easier than being a rapper in the sense that rappers you can work with hundreds of rappers if you really want to uh, but like I saw the kind of dog eat dog oh you're a rapper I'm not talking to you because yeah. I, you're taking away from my meal or whatever and I, when I came to Poland when I came to Warsaw specifically especially as a DJ it's like Oh, you're a DJ? Oh, I, got, I have a friend who works at a bar. Or oh, you're a DJ? So am I. Hey, maybe you want a DJ on right, Friday. So they, they, let me jump in here because there also might be a thing that you guys are dealing. So expats become a immigrants, certain. Immigrants. Immigrants, yeah. They become a certain level of community just by their own otherness here. in yeah. the country. Yeah. So. Because I've heard stories about the DJ community that are just like your rapper stories from Toronto. About but it the was, Warsaw scene. Yeah, but it was sort of like Polish people, yeah? So it might become that... And even if you... When you go to perform for expats or immigrants or whatever, yeah, that like you feel... Like the bar is set so much lower. Like mm -hmm. it's so much easier for me to do English comedy in, in Warsaw than it is to do Polish comedy. Because it's... I almost feel like these people are so grateful that they have something to do. Right. Yeah, you know? that's very true. Whereas yeah. Polish people, like, we battled probably, like, you know, 18 different plays in theaters and two concerts and uh, a game of football on TV and everything else. Somehow, like, you end up in this room and 
And you know how Polish people are. A lot of them have this attitude of like crossing their arms, being like, entertain me, bitch. You know, yeah. like dance monkey boy. Exactly. Why should I, I think know. you're funny? Yeah. And then if you're if you're opening for a guy who's famous, yeah, <laughs> then like they came to see their hero. Yeah. And here you are about to waste 30 minutes of my life. Show me what you got. Yeah? Right. Like yeah. and sometimes like like I opened for the most popular comedian in Poland at, at Arenas. Um, Do you want to name him? I mean, everyone knows. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's Rafał Pacic, yeah. Like he's he, he's he's you know we're doing venues for like nine thousand people, yeah. And he does a two-hour show, so I only had ten. So I made it a point to tell them that I'm only doing ten, yeah. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and then I also added a joke about being his supporting act. Yeah. So um which is always helpful to sort of identify the truth of the situation that you're in. Yeah. Sure. Um so I'm 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 kind of trying to move that into different directions. Like I'm supposed to send Comedy Central uh like eight minutes to to do another season of their comedy club thing that they do. Yeah. And I the things that are coming out of me are the juxtaposition of like when I was younger and I thought I'd be on Comedy Central and how exciting that would be to now it being kind of an inconvenience. In uh-huh. yeah? It's like a business decision. That's <laughs> it's a business not, decision. Uh, yeah. Like how much should do they want? Like how much are they paying me? Like, and and there's also the idea of like... <laughs> Kind of making fun of the people who watch television in today's world. Yeah, who's you know? what, like, like I, I wouldn't like even know how exactly, to find Comedy exactly. Central as a like, thing that so I, I can watch. So I kind of want to go up there and look into the camera and be like, "We're all here because you don't count. <laughs> like, like <laughs> you're actually not included in the statistics because I mean, you're just you going to want to do that. You, know? you can do that. And I'm probably going to. We'll see what the producers say. As always, because like I've done a season with them and I've sent them shit, and they were like, "So this is fine." <laughs> this is great, but if you could replace this and this, yeah, yeah, that yeah. would be great. And then I'd be like, and then I didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. so I was like, you said it was fine. <laughs> yeah, like you you gave me an option of changing something, and I'm choosing not to exercise sure. that option. So they would hit me back up a few days later and be like, could we just check what you could replace that with? So then I wrote something else. And then they were like, "We'll take the first version." <laughs> and also, also, Pol- I find because Polish people are terrible at negotiating. Some of the worst negotiation ever. It's like you offend them by even mentioning a different option, <laughs> and it's so crazy because, like, I've had it with DJing where it's like, "Hey, oh, we'd love to hire you for Saturday uh, for this special event that'll only happen once a year, whatever. How much would you want to get paid?" And I'm like, literally, try to word it like. Uh, okay, I would like this amount, uh, but I'm up for negotiation, no problem. And they're like, that's too high, thank you very much. <laughs> like, that's it? <laughs> nope. That's the yeah, end of yeah. the negotiation? What the fuck? Like, so, they don't know it's like a game even. Yeah. And then you. this is back to detachment, yeah? Like, you have to sort of do things in your own conscience and be like, I'm okay with playing it this way and I'm detached from the consequences, yeah? So, like, if if this doesn't work out, I'm cool. 
Yeah, like yeah, yeah, I'm sure. not changing who I am to to do something. And that's what this joke will turn into that I eventually end up accepting their shitty deal because of not being comfortable with these people who are watching reruns of this show watching someone else. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, yeah. sure. You, you mentioned uh that if you're a comedian and you're starting or like intermediate and someone more established wants you to open for them, yeah. say yes. It's like, it should be an obvious yes. Yeah. And the pay should be secondary. Yeah. Like I, ideally they should pay you, but it's just part of it. That uh, if you have that opportunity, yeah. do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Stage uh, time is huge. And like, man, an opening gig is is money. Like so for me, uh, this guy named Rafał Rutkowski, Rutkowski picked me up first and um, gave me 30 minutes, man. Um, and like, to be fair, I earned the shit. Like I, because I got signed with a manager relatively early into my career because he saw things in me. And he wasn't like, that's that. Don't get a don't get it twisted. That's not like the American understanding of a manager, yeah. Where you go into this agency and they start like putting you on this fucking Philip Puppy, yeah. exactly, yeah. Like this is a dude who was like literally starting this agency out of a garage and like he was kind of like the your the agent version of yourself, yeah. So just breaking into things and whatever, whatever. So he got me a testing show with this guy. I did thirty minutes before him. In front of like 40 people and smashed. Um, and like, and I was doing things that were my own. And, um, you know, I never really got accused of being a hack because I was always doing like my own shit. Yeah. So then he gave me that supporting gig. I did like a little bit of shows with him. And he opened, sorry, he hosted the biggest comedy tour in Polish history, which was Bang 2, which was Rafał Paczesz, Łukasz Lotek-Lotkowski, and Kacper Ruciński, three of the best comedians in Poland in one stage. Everybody was doing 30 minutes. And then Rutek hosted that. So he talked to them about me, and then Kacper, one of those guys, when he needed like a four-day tour, booked me on a four-day tour. And... And then, you know, like you spend time with each other, like you kind of, sometimes you'll become friends and sometimes you won't become friends. Um, and I noticed like energies of people match at a certain level. And as like cliche as it sounds, like there are, there are certain people who are like, <sighs> um, <laughs> uh -huh. they're like winners in a certain way. Yeah. Then like, they're fucking, they're workers, they're, they don't give a shit, they do it, they stay in activity mode, yeah? And there are people who just talk shit, yeah? and they talk shit about other people, and they definitely talk shit about the people at the, at the top, yeah? So I've, and I've gotten a taste of both of these worlds, and I've heard what People say, people sort of down below say it, the guy at the top, yeah? And he, he takes, takes on a lot of criticism from other comedians, yeah? That he's, that he's too simple, hacky, he does racist humor, does chauvinist humor, does alcohol humor, stuff like that. Those are his criticism. And some of that is partially true. 
But the thing is, and the thing that they don't get is that he is okay with being imperfect. And that's the thing that attracts these thousands of people. He is authentic even in his flaws. And yeah, he said shit that probably can be considered racist. He has said shit that can be considered chauvinist. But like alcohol humor, man, he does 30 minutes about his father being an alcoholic and and that's not bullshit alcohol humor. That's digging deep, man. And that's pulling out like your demons into everybody else's entertainment. And that takes balls, man. Um, yeah, I feel like there aren't hack topics. There are hack jokes. Right. <laughs> there are hack bits. Right. And but no, no topic is inherently things that most people consider hack topics. I often consider necessary. Like, um, like there was also a divide into in comedians that when the pandemic happened, there were certain comedians who believed that you should address the pandemic. Yeah, like, and. I was also in a unique position of I was basically the first comedian to go on stage after like the initial lockdown. Yeah. Because I opened for the the first show that happened when they reopened and because it happened like two days before the reopening. Cause it was the the original date. And like the police was involved and like the city government was involved and they allowed it to go on because they knew we were opening basically like the next day. So I was the first comedian to go on stage and I had like 15 minutes of pandemic material that I never tested because there was nowhere to test. Mostly coughing? <laughs> I actually didn't do any <laughs> coughing. I wanted to find the what is the quickest way of capturing what has happened. Yeah. So I decided that the best way to lean into it would be I walked on stage and I was like... How goes the New Year's resolutions? Yeah. <laughs> and it put him into the state of thinking of like, okay, like it was impossible to do these resolutions because they shut everything down. So you can go into everything. Yeah. I was supposed to go into the gym, but they shut down the gym and that and that and that. Yeah. Um, and other comedians thought that like, oh, people have had enough. Now they want to break. So we're not going to talk about the pandemic. So I'm like, if you're a comedian that puts out specials, let's say every year or two years, and like, at some point we watch your work and you at no point mentioned the pandemic. To me, that's a sign of weakness. And like, that is, you didn't, like, that was a big enough thing that humanity needs to hear a perspective. Yeah? It was the only thing. It was the only thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how can you ignore it? How can you ignore a year of life, you know? And and claim that people have heard enough, you know. Like I, I completely disagree with that. So it's like, if you get married, it's okay to do men are like this, women are like that humor because it's your life, yeah, sure. Yeah? And yeah. it's it's gonna connect to all these other people who who will need that. Not everyone has seen Chris Rock, you know. Like, right. just just do your own spin on it. So there's value in recording yourself very, very early on because, like, I'm sure you guys have heard, like, of the process of finding your voice, right? So so that thing at the very beginning is actually very close to what your voice ends up being, you know? Because, 
like you still suck in many ways at the beginning, but you're trying to say the things that you're actually trying to say. Yeah. Right. So then you go through this journey of kind of going like farther away from who you are as an artist and then coming back in to what you were trying to say in the first place. You know? Right, right. Um, so, so with this guy, this open mic that you've mentioned, like I, I completely get it. And he'll probably get worse before he gets better in a in a weird way, yeah. Yeah, sure. Did you do you have recordings of yourself? I I record everything. But like from the very beginning, everything. Oh, okay, yeah. so you have some. You have your first have stand-up set. I have my first. Yeah, I have my first stand-up set. I have my first stand-up set in Polish, which I which I recently did on a on a Polish podcast with this guy Antoni Sidek Dombrowski, who does this this podcast of like actually breaking down stand-up bits and he likes to listen to an older version of it and the most recent version of it. Oh, that's cool. And I was a like I I have this joke about Pornhub statistics that I tried essentially in my first open mic. Yeah. Um and then it took like five years before I published it, which I just published it in, in Polish on my on my special. And uh, yeah, it was a difficult thing, and it took a long time, and I didn't really rush it, you know. And I'm actually mentioning statistics from like years ago, and I don't really give a shit uh, because it doesn't matter like what the actual stuff in there is currently like the joke is what it is it still reveals stuff um so that was cool yeah to right. to watch the journey of that joke because in poland we don't really have that luxury like in, in the american comic scene you can work on a joke for your whole career and it's no problem you can like live off of comedy and work on a joke for like nine years because I, you know, I met comedians from America and then like really opened up my eyes. I opened for this guy, Ian Fidens, who opens for mm, the like New York comedy seller, comedian's comedian. He looks kind of homeless. He's old. He did bumping mics with Jeff Ross. David Tell. David Tell. He opens for David Tell. Yeah. And he works at the comedy selling and Ian Finance does like 14 spots a week. So he like works at the best comedy club in the world, opens for potentially the best comedian in the world. So I asked him, like, how long have you doing this? Have you been doing this? He said nine years. And then I asked him how much material he had. And he said he's getting close to 55 minutes. And that shit like blew my mind. <laughs> that like you collect 55 minutes in nine years. Yeah. Because the stand-up as being part of the culture allows you to live off a of stand-up and do that, you know? Right. Whereas for us, if you want to sell tickets, you got to show them who the fuck you are. So you got to publish uh, and burn material. Even though, like, no one really watches my first special, right? Like it, in the ether, it like gets kind of lost, but I still got to burn that material. Right. Because there's a chance that like eight people in my next show have seen it. So I'm, I can't do it anymore. So, so we're got, we got to be constantly writing and we basically get a season or two to perfect it as much as we can perfect it and 
publish and move on. Right, right. Sure. Do you think in the U.S. it's also a bit, uh, like if we're working in the cellar, the audience is coming to you. So we, we host open mics uh, in Warsaw, and it's we can't do the same jokes every week. Mm-hmm. It's the, the same people, half of them. Yeah, so the so, cellar yeah. itself is a bit of a cheat code because it's tourists mostly. Yeah, so constantly, it's recy- constantly cycling just, yeah. through. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's astonishing, like, I've never been to the cellar, but I've actually made a point to, like, ask people that have been and I was like, bro, like when you went to the cellar like twice in one week, did you see the same people doing the same shit? And the answer is yes. And then you see that for years and years. Like, yeah. So there's this guy at the cellar, mm, his last name is Greer. He's a, he's uh, yeah, a, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, he's a black da- dude that just yeah, murders. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fuck, what's his name? He's so, so funny, man. Yeah. Uh, Dave, Fucking Dave, Dave Greer? Dave Greer, that sounds, that sounds right. right. Johnny yeah. Greer. No, but <laughs> yeah. Jim Greer. G-R-E-E-R. Yeah, yeah. he's crazy. And he, he opens with this joke that like he, he wasn't even trying to like do comedy with somebody. He told him he'll get $5, so he's up here because he has that look. And I always connect to like lower energy comedians. And if you're like lower energy and like murder, then... I find that more attractive than mm-hmm. like a you know Michael McIntyre running all over the stage type shit. Yeah, sure. Um, and he does the same shit for years and years because the American market allows you to do that. Like there was Louis C.K. came to do a couple of shows in Warsaw yeah. when he had that thing that he had to do shows in Warsaw. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what happened with him? I, I <laughs> and. Um, And it was weird because, like, the show was at, like, the Polish, one of the scenes, one of the stages from the Polish National Theater. It was, like, the room probably cost, like, 25,000 PLN to to rent or something like that. It was just gorgeous room. And then the first two rows was all Polish stand-up comics. And and we're all, like, sitting there, like, giddy, excited and looking around. And he had three openers. One of them, I don't remember. Like, everyone said... He he was great. I thought he was very ordinary. The first guy. Oh, like, you're t- I know you're because t- I was there. At yeah, the show. I don't remember his name. I thought he was very forgettable. The second guy was Greg Hahn. Is his name? I yes. Think. That yeah. was, no, 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 no. Not That's Greg the guy that like I remember. The guy okay. that kept yeah, going like okay. this, <laughs> like. When that guy came out, we were all just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why is this shit so funny? Like, I remember all of us like looking around, like to see if everybody's experiencing it the same way. And then we YouTubed him. And And it's the the same same shit shit was online nine years prior. Yep, yep. And I'm like, he's still opening for Louis with the same stuff. Same shit, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, I remember I had the exact same experience because Greg Hunk is the first guy. I remember it was Joe List was... Or I don't know which one was first, but Joe List, Keith Robinson. <laughs> Keith Robinson, yeah, the guy that had a stroke. And yeah. then, yeah, and then Greg Hahn came yeah. on, and me and my sister were crying laughing. <laughs> yeah. And just like, what the fuck? Exactly what you're saying. Like, what the fuck is it? Like, he literally was, listen, I love Louis C.K. I was there for Louis C.K. Louis C.K. did great. But Greg Hahn, I was like, what the so fuck? Funny, yeah. Exactly. I exactly. fucking Googled you, you him. Love, you love the feeling of, like, shock but not because you're saying something fucked up, but you're just like so caught off guard with what's happening, you know? And I love like as being as someone who's not yet famous and often performing with people that are famous, I can do that with them. And Mm -hmm. like 
Like I would do a showcase show with a bunch of like more famous people. And like I could feel the room feeling like, well, who the fuck is this guy? And like, why does he think he can do this? Like, and that's great. Yeah, yeah it was legit. Like, I remember that fucking Greg Hahn. Although that's weird because he was so high energy. And you're saying that you don't like or you don't connect as much with higher energy guys, but that guy was the most high energy. Yeah. He was only energy, basically. Yeah. So for me, I I I guess I then go into like a mode of like my mind is often trapped in the idea of being a stand-up comedian. So in what way? In the ways that like I'm either filtering reality constantly through um is this a bit? Right. Or like can I learn something here? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So um I usually don't watch like anything on on Netflix or or any of these platforms that I can't really learn from, yeah? So I remember when I was younger, there was this TV show like Black Sails. I don't know if you guys I don't know. It's about no. pirates. Okay. <laughs> it's about pirates that are like, it's kind of like loosely based on real pirates and then adding these like fictional stories to give it like a little drama and sexiness and things like that. And I remember like really enjoying the first two seasons or whatever and then like, starting my own like artistic thing and then going back to the next season and I was like I can't do stuff like this anymore <laughs> you know like so when he started doing all this I kind of go into like okay I'm never going to be doing anything like that on stage so I can go into pure entertainment mode and just be entertained just be by this right, guy instead of trying it. to learn from him you know okay yeah so gotcha I know I, I see what you're saying yeah yeah Oh, one thing just to clarify also just about just what we were talking about before I, uh, about Polish people versus expats or as I call them immigrants. The like um, I was in a bubble, but it was Polish people, but it was a bubble because my sister's in a band and I was introduced to musicians through my sister. And so all the people were actually Polish people. And I think also DJing versus comedy like DJs here need to work w with each other a little bit more. So I don't know. I, I, I th because it's like, you know, you can DJ till six in the morning, you need another DJ, but also I can understand someone being guarded, but I think me being bright eyed, being Canadian, definitely like, Oh, that's cool. You're from another country and coming here to Poland definitely helps, but also being like friendly and bright eyed, as opposed to like, oh, we're both DJs, fuck you. Anyone yeah, can say fuck you exactly. if you're acting like that. But if you're like, accept it, if you're happy and you're like, yeah, come out. Oh, you want to perform at my show? Absolutely. Come, come. As much as like, even if you're like, who the fuck is this guy? I remember him in the front row and now he's doing comedy, fuck him or whatever you like a person might think to be like completely accepting and open does can you can change somebody doing that but i'd say mainly like this is mostly beatrice's idea but we approach comedy not that we're comedians competing mm. for like attention we are creating an economy we are creating the demand by trying to do the thing well putting on shows yeah. showing people that english comedy can be good and can be here and if there's a city has over yeah. a million people, like there is an audience, and there's certainly more. There's room for more than one show. You just have to. You need to create uh, the demand and the supply, and create the whole community. And you cannot do that 
with a fuck you attitude. Yeah. So everything is a reflection of your own energy. Yeah. So, and this is something I'm learning to accept that, you know, we really create the realities we're living in. And you being bright eyed and positive, allowing you to like feeling more welcomed makes sense in the universe, right? Like it's your energy being reciprocated back to you. And that makes sense in, in a, in a world that's, powered by logic yeah and, and i am a comedy robot <laughs> and if you are a comedy <laughs> robot whatever like it's reflected back to you and i've i know i i've gone back to things where i've analyzed things that like yeah i could have had the energy that would make other comics be like weary of me and or like skeptical of me or careful of me and i almost I almost like I I get it, you know, because like I understand that I'm not the sort of comic. Like there are comics that are like weird enough on stage that you know he might be successful, but he won't be comedian number one, two, or three because he's just too weird, right? So I'm not like that, yeah. Like when I come in, came into the stage, people people understood. They're like, oh, this guy is. He's going to be a comic, right? Like, yeah. so you really have to be like the way you describe positive and bright eyed to when you're coming in like that because you're not by default being supported. Yeah. Um, but then it could be like fake or perceived as fake or not even fake, but like. No, I know what you're he's saying. trying to be nice to me. Yeah, 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 sure. So I might be even more skeptical of him. Now, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and if I did, <clears throat> if I did fake the personality I have, then it would come off. And I am, I am sometimes like surprised that people would trust me. Like we were talking about <laughs> surprise people. Yeah, I, would, I am because I, I like, want to hey, kill them. Are no, you so not aware that I. <laughs> they am don't know that asshole. I want to kill them. I'll fucking murder you. <laughs> no, I have had that before, where someone trusts me off the bat, and I'm like, I mean, technically, logically, absolutely, they should, and I do mean what I'm saying. However, I still have that thought of like, why do they know? Why do no, they know? No part yeah. of you projects negative intentions, Ariel. Yeah, like, but like, and that's that's it's which is weird for someone that looks like he could he's be like a, a giant. Nazi. He's I like would a, be a, a great con giant. artist <laughs> if if I was yeah. faking it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but I definitely like. I mean, I think I think. Uh, I mean, we talked about this before. Like emotions, like read on my face because I like I'll. If I really have to act, I'll act. But like most of the time, if I'm pissed off at someone and I say, yeah, yeah, good one, Philip, yeah, yeah, whatever, you'll know immediately and then I'm not hiding anything very well. I think I don't even like the word fake anymore because to me, like there's this thing of like fake it till you make it, which I kind of opposed to when I heard this TED talk. And it's like one of the most popular TED talks in the world about like how you can trick your mind into being whoever you want to be by like power poses, for example. And yeah, that you can go into uh-huh, the Which uh-huh. were just proven, that the, the studies have proven that it does not increase testosterone in your body by doing a power pose. But do you know about this? So the, it's, it's debunked. Yeah. It's debunked. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, do it till you do it is what I prefer. But like her story kind of does... And and then like imposter syndrome is also a thing that happens when you start succeeding. You, you people people experience this thing of like, 
whoa, like I don't deserve to be here. Yeah, yeah. sure. And I've worked with people that I, I've taught English, which has always turned into like kind of like self-help sessions in English of like corporate professionals that we get promoted like way quicker than they're expected. And they're like, oh shit, I got to improve my English. I got to improve my presentation skills. Like these people will discover that this has been a mistake, you know? Like, yeah. And I would tell them like, there are no rules, bro. Like if someone puts you here, then you're here. Like just accept it, whatever, like whatever it is you are, someone else with more responsibility has made that call that this is the right call. You just fucking go with it, man. Like you'll make some mistakes, like, but it's all good. Like trust this, you know? Yeah. Um, and with comedy, you know, it, it, it's it's always like just fucking just tune it all out. You know, like the, the, this profession will fucking bring you down very quick. Like no matter how good you are, stand-up has a way of tuning down your ego to the fucking exactly where it needs to be. So I try not to fuck with the universe. Yeah. So like back to this fake shit, you choose who you want to become and then you program yourself to becoming that. Yeah. So I'm choosing that I want peace and happiness and calmness in my life and I'm programming that into my existence. And stand-up is just one of the things that I do. Going back to what you said about your approach to doing these shows and creating demand, and for me it's creating value. And yeah? like when I step on stage or I speak online or whatever, I want things to have value. Yeah? And when I talk to my kid about like when we go to work, when I was a kid, people would be like, I need to go to work because I need money. And the kid would be like, but why do we need money? And then he'd be like, ah. You see, Capitalism, <laughs> you see uh, these. revolution. And yeah, so <laughs> instead of doing all that, people go do this, this primal thing of like, you know, these presents that we give you, that, that comes from money. So then the kid takes on this guilt of like playing with these toys. Yeah. Because... Work to a kid is absence of a of a parent. My PlayStation is my father not teaching me catch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's the only like it's the worst thing in the world for a kid is work because it always equals no mom, no dad. So when I teach my kid about work, I don't tell him it's about the money because then like my parents would be like, because that's how the world works. Right. Right. You know. And in a way that is how the world works, but we say things like, we don't go to work because we have to. We go to work because humans need to do something and we're doing awesome things. When dad goes to work, he makes people laugh by speaking into a microphone. And he understands that. My kid understands that that is like a cool thing to get money for because he understands money because like we'll do like, uh, he'll fix his car and he'll be like, Tupinyoshki, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah. So he, he gets the concept of an exchange. My, my fiance works for a gaming company that makes awesome games, you know, so we can be like, mom, when mom goes to work, she creates value by doing these things that give joy to people. So we both give joy to people. And that's a cooler way of looking at work. Let's talk about your special happy on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> well, but that's, but that's, that's a just an, huge that's switch. Polish, yeah. Yeah. 
Why did it, so uh, is it your first special that you've? It's uh, I mean it's uh, it's just like a recording. Like it's not even that special, you know. Like in Poland, you just record stuff. So it's, it's an regular? hour of your stand-up. So it, yeah. I, no, it's like forty-two minutes of that my counts. stand-up. That's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before I had a recording of like twenty-six minutes, and before that, I had a recording of seven minutes. So in, talk to in us Polish. about everything's in Polish. Is this? Yeah. Is, yeah, we 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 pulled it up earlier. It's like let's watch his special. It was in Polish. I was like, I don't understand this. Yeah, and and you probably will watch some of it. I, I, yeah, I have <laughs> I have a couple of recordings on YouTube in English that are like from from way back when, and that recording of the the uh, crowd work that I talked to you at really is on there. That's on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, holy shit, I got to see my that. first open mic set is on YouTube. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, you well. Is it? Most is people it, think that's a horrible idea. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but uh, it's not even like if, if if you entitle that like my first open mic, then I, that's I, not yeah. you know that's not like a thing you're representing yourself as a comedian. <laughs> that's just a thing that that's like a vlog almost of on, of that day. Yeah, you know, it's pretty good. Jordan is brag. Jordan is brag. That's uh, right. So can you walk us through? Allow me to be robotic yeah, for a do, second. Do, do it. Uh, why you chose to record at this time, how you recorded it, just walk us through the process, the thought process, and yeah, the actual so I re- technical process. The, the recording it. is from like June or July, actually. Because there is a bit of a vacation season in the Polish stand-up season during the summer because like, you know, outdoor venues are hard to compete with. You know, people understand that they have, there's like, there's a seasonal rhythm to Polish stand-up. So it's like, it's kind of a break in the summertime that it's testing season. Then it's like everybody tours Poland until it's time to record again and take another break. That's if you're doing the yearly thing, yeah. Um, so I recorded before the break. Um, with the intention of pu- publishing when people also watch more YouTube. Yeah, so uh, October, yeah, basically October, I think, although... W- w- it was November. Yeah, so yeah. we ended up having like a bunch of delays, of course. And overall, this is my most recent like challenge was to accept to like detach from that shit. And yeah? like... The material? Yeah, fr- or the... YouTube recording and, uh, you know, checking the numbers that it's getting and not being, like, satisfied by being like, fuck it, it just is what it is, on to the next one, like, um, yeah, plan the next season. And then, like, then what happened was I listened, I was doing a drive of like 40 minutes. So I listened to a recent testing show where I tested 30 minutes of material. And I fucking loved it, man. I was fucking laughing to myself and it made me feel calm and better that I just got to keep doing what I'm doing and uh, it'll work out the way it's supposed to work out. Yeah. That's a sweet feeling, actually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Acceptance. Acceptance. Okay, so that so you finished it and you put it out. Uh, how, how's the like? How do you general, feel about the venue, Hidrzegaga, which is a place we all know? Yeah, so I it was actually one of the first places I ever performed that I wanted to record it there um, because I wanted kind of like the the my first twenty six minutes is recorded at this big ass venue for a thousand people. <laughs> And we have like drone shots and shit like that. And it's almost like 
kind of, kind of back to the imposter syndrome that it it feels like kind of dishonest that like this isn't what my career looks like, like on a daily basis to yeah. to to us me Beatrice and Ariel like the largest we've done well what's the largest you've done Ariel um for stand up yeah. was probably like a Beatrice's show probably like 100 people something yeah, like that yeah like 100 150 so like that. Yes, yeah, so the most yeah. I've done was eighty seven hundred. <laughs> but I but I feel like that's again I do that as a supporting act. So I felt like that was almost like dishonest. So I wanted you to kind of like, record it. Sorry, on, I'm not the guy. The guy's coming on soon. Just let me do my stuff, and yeah, and you except, get to win them over way more than that. exactly. Yeah. yeah, except when you record your special, then it like it is your night. Like you have your yeah. comedian friends like open guy. for you, and then you do the second half, and I destroyed like on the on the night like I felt so happy with the show like it went it went great um and I wanted to be in like a dirtier comedy club type of a thing you know to like show the sort of underbelly of this uh stand-up journey more you know um yeah and I'm not sure we exactly captured yeah, I don't know. I have like questions about it now. The way the way it looks, the way it sounds. Did you have mics in the audience, or just? I think it's from- about the who was doing the lights. Um, the, <laughs> I have a vendetta. Yeah. So Jordan, the, to give you background, Jordan did a show there, also like a hundred people or something I, like that. Did, yeah. And he's annoyed at the lights because he has uh, OCD or some shit. <laughs> so the lights actually became an issue for the editing guy that he claimed there was a flicker. Uh, and it, in order to take off the flicker, he had to like make the video look a certain way that I felt like was a mistake for me to accept, and I would have preferred the flicker. They've got a proper spotlight. That's that's where I would do because the spotlight matters quite a lot. And he and he drew. Yeah. I'm gonna stop talking because. I'm getting nerdy about the lights. Uh, I'll do an. Oh, yeah. it, it I'll do another jingle. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares, Jordan. Yeah. About fucked, the lights. They fucked up the lights at my hour show. Three minutes in, somebody from the bar came up and like flicked a switch to make the lights horrible, and I just had to be like, "Ah, we're in hell." And then I just did the rest of the hour. Uh, well, you, yeah. did the guy not speak English? You could they have probably did. asked him the, from the, the stage is, to the, fix it, the, but they didn't know how. The, the problem so the is guy I had the, was very, seemed very professional. Yeah. Now, everything was fine with his lights, Jordan. That's enough. <laughs> enough with the fucking lights. No, nah, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what, so we'll, what, we'll sign off then. I think. Yeah. 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 Listen, Unless you've anything to plug. Nah, just follow me on social media. If you speak Polish, I gotta get an English channel. So that's probably another mission for next year that I gotta Philip get English. Ramora? Yeah. Yeah, you'll, 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 we'll, you'll we'll have it in the show notes. notes. Yeah. We'll have it yeah. in the description. Peace. Thank you. Oh, we, yeah. got, oh, we, have, we, have, we have a way of doing it. Uh, guys, thank you for listening to the comedy hall. Uh, You're not German. Ciao. 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 Thank you, Philip. <laughs> so, guys, follow the comedy hall on Facebook, on Instagram. Check out our shows. We will be so happy to talk with you. Also, if you have any suggestion about possible topics for this podcast, reach out. If you want to be part of the podcast, reach out. If you're a comedian, then you'll stop by Warsaw, come, and we will have fun together on stage. So, ciao. <laughs>